want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 40. Uh, as promised, we're going to take a break from uh, the book of Exodus, and over the next few weeks, um, I'm going to preach a series of sermons that we're entitling The Coming King, Comfort for All Who Mourn, Comfort for All Who Mourn. And so we're going to look uh, this morning at Isaiah uh, chapter 40, beginning at verse 1 uh, and reading through verse 11. Listen to the word of the Lord. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do this morning, give you praise, glory, honor, and thanks. We thank you for the privilege uh, that it is, Lord, uh, to know you. We thank you for the privilege uh, that it is, Lord, to be known by you. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would meet us. Pray that you would speak to us as all of us sit under the authority of your word, Lord, do that work in us, continue to transform us and shape us after your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, beginning in uh, Isaiah 40, Isaiah shifts his prophetic vision from his generation to the future generation of God's people who will face captivity in a foreign land. Of course, the shifting of vision doesn't mean that Isaiah is no longer talking to the current generation. For these are lessons to be learned in the present from what God is promising to do in the future. Indeed, the comfort that Isaiah announces to a future generation is a comfort that's actually needed in the present. For even though the circumstances may change, the same general evils present themselves to each and every generation of human beings in this fallen world. We are going to grapple, 
brothers and sisters, with pain, with loss, with injustice and hardship, together with the manifestation of our personal and corporate sin. And these enemies are going to confront us with a question, a question that I picked up from my ESV study Bible in this, of this passage. In what, in what will God's people trust for salvation? In human strategies of self-rescue or in prophetic promises of divine grace? And the reason that question struck me is because of something that I believe happens when we are facing the difficulties of life. You see, brothers and sisters, the experience of pain, the experience of loss and injustice and hardship together with the manifestation of our personal and corporate sin can leave us with a diminished vision of the glory of God, a diminished vision of the glory of God. But since the glory of God is our chief end, and since the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is the future coming, the future of the coming world, then maintaining a vision of that glory is all our comfort in this fallen world. What I'm saying to you this morning is that our comfort in this world comes from being able to see through our pain, through our sufferings, through our losses, through our hardships, through our injustices, through even our own sins, to be able to see through those things something of the goodness of God. David, in fact, says something very helpful to us in this regard in the psalm when he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And David says this, of course, at a, at a time when, when he was under threat from adversaries, when, 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 when adversaries who weren't imagined adversaries, but real, real people telling lies about him, real people breathing out threats of violence against him. He says the only thing that kept him going was a belief that he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, all I'm saying to you this morning is that a vision of the glory of God is not only a welcome source of comfort, but a necessary one. If we are to be comforted in this life, it will only come as we are able to maintain focus or have our focus redirected to the glory of the living God. What Isaiah is prophesying to a future generation, which is meant to give hope to to the present generation, is the faithfulness of God to reveal His glory, the faithfulness of God to reveal His goodness to His people in the midst of their pain, their sufferings, their losses, their hardships, and even their own sin. God, brothers and sisters, is not trying to hide His goodness from us. He has bound himself to revealing it to us. Israel had seen that glory throughout its history and up to Isaiah's day. They had seen God's glory in deliverances. They had seen God's glory in provisions. They had seen God's glory in protections. They had seen God's glory in his providences. 
And the future generations would see it in those same things. So no wonder when John the Baptist and John the disciple saw Jesus, they knew through the Spirit what they were looking at. You see, some folks shut their eyes in times of crisis, hoping it will simply go away. And others turn their eyes to worldly sources of comfort and hope that keep letting them down and that keep disappointing them. But some of us learned a long time ago through the power of God at work in us by the Spirit to do what the psalmist declared he would do in times of trouble. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. So when Jesus came, John and John came to realize through the Spirit that help had come. And not just any help, but the help that comes from God being near. And he was and is near in Jesus, not in some temporary way. For John declares to us in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word, in the beginning was the Word, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our comfort, brothers and sisters, is fully met in Jesus because He is the embodiment of the glory of God, for He is God in the flesh. God's very own Son, full of grace and truth. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but to know Jesus is to know the promise of comfort. It is to know that you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living and in the life to come. Amen, people of God. Can you put that other text of Scripture up for me? This is 1 John, this is John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. I want to read this uh, before I go on. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made, and Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Word of God. So how does Jesus' coming, if He is the fulfillment of that glory of God announced in Isaiah 40, how does Jesus' coming confront us with that glory of God? I just want to mention a few things here, and then I'll get out of your way. (laughs) First and foremost, God's glory brings pardon. God's glory brings pardon. In Isaiah 40, the assumed audience of this prophecy is the nation of Israel who are exiles in Babylon. 
And they are exiles in Babylon for a reason. And that reason is their repeated failure as a people to obey God's laws, to walk in God's ways. They keep messing up, and therefore they keep finding themselves on the wrong side of that covenant relationship with God, wherein God promised blessing for doing good, cursing for doing evil. And Israel's evil uh, was no laughing matter. It began with turning away from God toward idolatry, which then led to all that flows from that idolatry, right? Oppression, corruption, violence, theft, sexual immorality, and the like. And God, who had been long-suffering and patient toward Israel, had finally had enough. And God's enough isn't pretty. Just listen to Jeremiah's prophecy of what was coming as a result of Israel's sustained rebellion against, uh, against her God. Jeremiah says, For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. For this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. At the noise of horsemen and archer, every city takes to flight. They enter thickets, they climb among rocks. All the cities are forsaken, and no man dwells in them. And you, O desolate one, what what do you mean that you dress in scarlet, that you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, that you enlarge your eyes with paint? In vain you beautify yourself. Your lovers despise you. They seek your life. For I heard it as a cry of a woman in labor, anguish as of one giving birth to her first child, and the cry of the daughter of Zion, gasping for breath, stretching out her hands. Woe is me. I am fainting before murderers. Imagine the fear. Imagine the heartbreak. Imagine the anguish that Israel felt being stripped from their homeland, watching family and friends and neighbors killed or taken captive, waking up in a foreign land in which many of them would have to live for the rest of their lives. I paint this picture for you because it is against that dark canvas that God's announcement in Isaiah 40 comes. And it is against that canvas that God's announcement in John 1 comes. And both announcements contain a message of the coming of God's glory. And in that coming, in that coming glory is pardon. In that coming glory is forgiveness. In that coming glory is reconciliation between God and his people. God is not coming in glory to pronounce more judgment. Rather, he is coming in glory to forgive. And and, and this is our comfort in life. For even when we find ourselves in miserable circumstances, even circumstances due to our own sin, we can have confidence that forgiveness is not far away. And we can have that confidence because that promise of forgiveness has now found its fulfillment in Christ. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God will go, uh, John would go on later to say, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. And then upon seeing Jesus, John the Baptist would declare, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is God's glory, 
and God's glory is pardon for sinners. Amen, people of God. So what's the call here? It is to repent. It's to repent and receive God's pardon. It's to receive through repentance and faith the forgiveness that our God holds out to us in Jesus. This is what it means to make a straight, uh, a, a, a straight way in the de- uh, make, make, make a straight uh, path in the desert, a highway for God. It's a picture of, of both the individual and corporate repentance that God calls us to. To all those who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Repentance to me. Repentance brings comfort. Repentance brings comfort because through repentance and faith, we receive the pardon that God offers to those who turn from their sin and turn toward Him. The call is to resist sitting in the desert. The call is to resist sitting in the wilderness of our sins, whatever they may be. So whether it be sexual immorality or theft or murder or adultery or coveting or wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness, or the like, God calls us away from that and toward the transformation that being his children calls us toward. Our comfort is never far away because God's pardon is never far away from us if we repent. God's comfort is never far away because his forgiveness is never far away if we repent of our sins. So I just want to encourage you this morning, don't sit in the desert of your own sin. Don't sit in the wilderness of your own sin. Repent, turn from your sins, trust in the Lord, and he will lead you toward transformation. And what is true individually is also true corporately. This is the foundation of many of the prophets' prayers on behalf of God's people, a belief in God's pardon, which comes through repentance. That's why Isaiah announced to his own generation, he announced to his own generation the voice of God saying, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, what? I will make them as white as snow. All you have to do is turn. Turn from your sin and turn toward me, and I will heal you. I will renew you. I will refresh you. Amen, people of God. God's glory brings pardon. It also brings presence. In addition to pardon, God's glory brings with it another comfort that that Israel needed and that we need, the the experience of exile would have brought with it a, a, a painful feeling that, that, that would have been difficult to shake in a foreign land. And, and that feeling would have been the sense of having been cast away from God's presence. Re- remember that, that, that the temple of God was in Jerusalem. And, and even though God's presence in, in, in its immensity cannot be contained by any space, God had blessed the temple built by Solomon, filling it with his glory as a symbol of his presence with his people. And so to be driven away from the city of Jerusalem would have felt like God's presence being taken away from his people. And no matter how one would have tried, that feeling, or shaking that feeling, would have been difficult. Not only are we ruined, not only are we ruined, they would have thought, but we are also abandoned. Not only are we ruined, we are also abandoned. I, I, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, 
there's anyone in the house this morning who knows what I'm talking about. Anyone who has ever felt that their life was not only ruined by sin, either by yours or someone else's, but also that you were abandoned by God in that ruin. Ruin on the one hand, and and a sense of abandonment on the other, a a ruin and a feeling of abandonment that you cannot shake on your own. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody this morning. (laughs) But what, what I guess I'm asking is, is there anyone who has been in life's deserts? Is there anyone who has been in life's wilderness? Is there anyone who has been in life's valleys? Is there anyone who has been in places where the ground was uneven? Is is there anyone who has been in rough places? I I just want to talk to those folk this morning, and I I want to give those folk a message. And the message is this, the Lord shows up in deserts. The, the, the Lord shows up in wildernesses. The, the, the Lord shows up in valleys. The Lord shows up in places where the ground is uneven. The Lord shows up in rough places. There, there's not a circumstance of life where God cannot meet His people with His power and the glory of His presence. Indeed, it, it is, it, it, it's in the very places that you, that you think God is absent It's, it's in the very places where you, where you think God has left you. It's in the very places where you think God has forgotten about you. It's in the very places where, 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 where the day is dark, where you can't see anything. It's in those places that God shows up and reveals His glory. Isaiah says that, 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 that in those deserts, in those wildernesses, in those valleys, in those uneven places, in those rough places, here's what he says, every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the desert, the glory will be revealed. In the wilderness, the glory will be revealed. On uneven ground, the glory will be revealed. In rough places, the glory will be revealed. If you think God isn't in Babylon, you're mistaken. You think He's not with you in your heartache in your despair, in your pain, in your suffering, in your trial, then you are mistaken. God is with His people and His world in there and its misery, even when the misery is of their own making. <laughs> and some of y'all know what I'm talking about, because some of y'all have been in messes that ain't nobody else's fault but yours. And even in that mess, God shows up. That's all right, I'll talk to myself this morning. God is with His people. He's with His world. In our misery, even when it's of our own making, and just when you thought He was absent, He comes out of nowhere <laughs> from a place you hadn't imagined. For Israel, in Babylonian exile, that place would be Persia. For God would send an unbeliever named Cyrus to set His people free from Babylon. But when the fullness of time would come, God would send another liberator, not an unbeliever and not a ruler of a secular conquering kingdom. Indeed, the obscurity of his place of residence would cause one of his disciples to wonder out loud, can anything good 
come out of Nazareth? Can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But John, in his gospel, would answer his peers' question that not only can something good come out of Nazareth, but God himself can come out of Nazareth. And in case you forgot, in case you forgot, they named him Jesus at the angel's command, but he has another name, a name given to him by God through the prophet Isaiah. And that name is Emmanuel, God with us. So I, so I, so I, so I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know, I don't know what desert you're in. I don't know what, I don't know what rough place you're in. I don't know what wilderness you're in. I don't know where the ground is uneven in your life. All I know is if your faith is in Jesus, it's also in Emmanuel. It's also in the one who proclaims himself as God with us. So if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus this morning, you know Emmanuel. <laughs> you know God's presence. You know what it means to have God with you in rough places. God has not abandoned you, Christian. God has not abandoned you. I know the circumstances of life may be pressing in on you, but God has not forgotten you. It is not just that he, it's not just that God sees you. It's not just that he sees your circumstances. He has promised his presence. The Spirit of God is in you and with you, and that means Jesus is with you. For he promised his disciples, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that, on, in that day, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You, you, you say, but I don't feel him, pastor. It, it seems like he's, like, like he's not here. I, I, what, what it feels like is he's absent. What it feels like is he's not paying attention to what is going on with me. What, what, it, what it feels like is that, is that he's taking a vacation, that, 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 he's not, that, he's not really, that he's not really attentive to what's going on in my life. Well, somebody's lying because he said he's with you. Somebody's lying and it ain't God. It's not Jesus. I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to them. Jesus didn't lie to his disciples, and he didn't lie to us. And the call here is not to believe the lie of your flesh. The lie of the world, the lie of the devil, is to believe our God because he is faithful and his word is true. So for those of you who have suffered loss recently, Jesus is with you. For those of you who are financially struggling right now, Jesus is with you. For those of you who are wrestling on your job right now, Jesus is with you. For those of you who are doubting your place in the world, Jesus is is with you. There is no place, there is no set of circumstances that you face alone. And here's why that matters. Because whatever you are facing, whatever you are facing, you can take it to God in prayer. And He will hear you. And He will give you grace. And He will lead you in the truth that you need to walk in, in those circumstances. Amen, people of God. The glory of God is pardoned for sinners. The glory of God 
is also the promise of his presence. And lastly, the glory of God. God's glory brings protection. In addition to pardon and presence, God's glory brings with it this final comfort that I want to encourage you in today. Israel's sinfulness prior to exile brought with it a foolish sense of invincibility. They had almost certainly misread God's patience and long-suffering as an indication that they would not be judged. And God speaks often to Israel of her pride prior to Babylon's invasion. Jeremiah 13 is, is a warning against that very pride. I encourage you to go and read it. But the reason this pride, this, this sense of invisibility is so foolish is because of what Isaiah says in Isaiah 4, 40, in Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. Listen, listen again. A voice cries, a, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. It was as if Isaiah was saying to God's people, to his own people, no, Israel, you are not invincible. And it's what I would say to you, my brothers and sisters, and to the people of this land, no, America, you are not invincible. And plug in whatever other nation or people you want to, the answer is the same. The only, inv- the only invincible one is God. And so it stands to reason that the only word that will stand is that which God himself has spoken. And therein lies our hope as believers. We are grass. I'm going to say it again. You are grass. But glory be to God that he loves grass. <laughs> so, some, of y'all, some of y'all got it. You are grass. But glory be to God that he loves grass. Glory be to God that he loves caring for grass. And this is the message of the one who is called on in verse 9 to herald the good news of God's coming. He is to herald that God is coming with might and with power and with recompense. That word recompense means uh, to make amends, to compensate for something that is lost. Israel has learned through exile that they are grass. I'm just, I'm I'm trying to help some of y'all this morning. What your trials and your hardships and your difficulties and your pain and your suffering, what it teaches you is that you are not, in, you are not invincible, you are grass. You're, you're, you're grass. Israel learned through exile that they are grass. They, they, they have learned through this trial that they are not strong in and of themselves. But they're also going to learn that they are God's grass. (laughs) They're going to learn that they are God's grass. And God has bound himself in covenant to protect in his lawn. Y'all just keep keep the analogy going. God God, God, God has bound himself in covenant to protect in his lawn. I I wish I had some witnesses in, in the house this morning. God's people have been mowed down 
by life's circumstances. They have been mowed down by violence. They've been mowed down by the theft of their land. They've been mowed down by the loss of their loved ones. They've been mowed down by oppression of their enemies. But the owner of the grass is on his way. The, the vine dresser is on his way. The true shepherd, to change the imagery, is on his way. No wonder when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he knew what he was looking at. The world looked at Jesus and saw Nazareth. The world looked at Jesus and only saw a feeding trough in Bethlehem. The world looked at Jesus and saw the son of a carpenter. But John the Baptist looked at Jesus and saw the son of God. He saw the owner of the house. He saw the true vine dresser. He saw the true shepherd. He saw the one who would declare later of himself to those who look to him, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is what Isaiah saw in the coming of God's glory when he declared he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and he will lead those that are with young. This is who Jesus is. He is God's glory. Come to protect those sheep whom God has given to him. If your faith is in Jesus, that's you. That's you. That's you. And when Jesus announces himself as the good shepherd, he's talking about you. You haven't made it this far because you're invincible. You've made it this far because somebody's carrying you. When, 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 when you got tired, like, like, like you, know, you know how you think, I'm tired. I can't go anymore. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do another day. I can't do another minute. I can't do another hour. And the next hour, you're still alive. And the next minute, you're still alive. You wonder, how in the world am I still alive? How in the world am I still going? Because you are not invincible because you're grass. And because the Lord in his graciousness and his love and his kindness is carrying you. So the call here is to believe what Romans 8 declares. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're guarding as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, what things? What, what things? Tribulation? distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, death, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's presence is 
always with you. Whatever you're facing, believe that because it's true. Don't let your circumstances convince you otherwise. And trust me, your circumstances can and will press the lie that you are on your own. That you are abandoned. That God will not show up. That, that, that he will not meet you. Some of you all have been through some stuff. Some of y'all who've been through some stuff know what I'm talking about. So you can testify with me this morning. Your circumstances have a way of pressing in on you and making you feel that God has left the building. Here's what the Scriptures testify to. He ain't gone nowhere. If these things couldn't separate them from His love, Let's account those things again. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. If those things could not separate them from his love, they won't separate us either. So I just came to talk to some folk just for a few minutes in case that's you, in case you're in that place this morning where the circumstances of life have pressed in on you. And made you feel that your God has abandoned you. I want to remind you this morning, the glory of the Lord is in Jesus. And that glory for you is pardon for your sins. It is the presence of God with you in every circumstance of life. And it is his promise of protection no matter what it is you are going through. Whether through life or death, you are in the hands of Jesus. You don't have to worry, and don't you be afraid. Joy comes in the morning. Troubles, they don't last always, for there's a friend in Jesus who can wipe your tears away. <laughs> Somebody know what I'm talking about? Somebody ought to lift their hands and say, I know that I can make it. I know that I can stand. No matter what may come my way, my life is in your hands. Those are good hands to have your life in, brothers and sisters. <laughs> don't, don't, don't give your life to greed. Don't give your life to the comforts of this world. Give your life to Jesus because he can hold you. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Jesus, we worship you this morning because in your coming, we have seen the glory of God in all of its fullness. And we who have, your faith in, have our faith in you, we know this morning that in you there is forgiveness of our sins. There is pardon. And so we would ask you, Lord, help us to repent of our sins. Help us to turn away from the things that have bound us. Father, we know that in Jesus, your presence is with us in every circumstance of our life. So God, help us. Help us by the power of the Spirit to believe
that in everything we go through, you have not abandoned us. You are there. You are right there with us. We are not in this stuff alone. And Lord Jesus, we pray, help us, help us to believe what you declare about yourself, that you are the good shepherd, that you have laid down your life for your sheep to prove your goodness, and that you are now carrying us in your arms. Our life is in your hands. Help us to believe that, to trust in that, and to live out of that in this world. Lord, comfort your people through these words. Comfort them through your word. Encourage our hearts, I pray, this morning. In Jesus' name.